0: I hope you didn't plan on listening to this broadcast today to gain some nugget of truth that would be helpful to you in some philosophic way. I hope you're listening to this broadcast because you want Jesus. And that causes me to ask you the question, how are you with Jesus? No, 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 I mean for real. How are you with Jesus? Are there any issues between your heart and Jesus' heart. How long have those issues been there? Have you convinced yourself that you're on your way to heaven in spite of those issues that you recognize between your heart and Jesus' heart? Have you comforted yourself with any refuge of lies that you're going to make it okay and you can continue to just float along, getting nice words about Jesus once in a while, and you're on your way to heaven? Are you kidding me? This is real. This is not religion. This is life and death. This is real. And if today you're kind of floating along, you're missing it. Everything in our culture Everything on television, everything in professional sports, all of the circus, all of the the bread and the circus, as the Romans said, everything in our culture is designed to numb you down, to cause you to be unconscious. At some point, isn't it time to wake up and recognize the reality that's facing us? We either live to die or we're willing to die in order to live. Either now we take up our cross, we deny ourselves, we follow Jesus, or we will never follow Jesus. You can't live wrong and die right. You're going to die the way you lived. I just had a friend share with me the obituary of her of her father-in-law. And she was saying to me, what a wonderful man this was. And I read the obituary and I read about all of the good things he did in civic circles. I read about how wonderful all of his family thought he was. But totally absent from that eulogy was any description of self-denial taking up his cross and following Jesus. I'm sure when the pastor preached his sermon, though he did not attend, he was preached right into heaven because he was such a wonderful man. No, he wasn't. He never was born again. He never gave his life to Jesus Christ. He never turned from the foolishness of this world to the life-giving source. He never did that. And so he lived his life here, and he received his heaven here. And I fear that many of you today who are listening to this broadcast you're getting your heaven right now. This is all the heaven you're going to get, so enjoy it. This is it. This is the deal. I don't want that for you. I want you to recognize that now is the time, if ever there is going to be a time, when you turn your heart to Jesus and lay down all of the foolishness of this world and say, I want heaven. I want Jesus, and I am going to go for it. That's why this broadcast is called Pilgrim's Progress. After that famous book John Bunyan wrote describing this journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, there must be a journey taken, and if you don't take the journey, you won't arrive in heaven. I shared with you last week the story of Moses in the wilderness. And I shared with you what the scripture said. That most of those who went out into the wilderness, the desert with Moses, died in the desert. Only two came out of the desert alive. Even Moses died in the desert. Will you come out of the desert alive? Or will you just stay in Egypt and be comfortable? It's vital that we stop and consider Is there anything between my heart and Jesus' heart? Now, I'll just tell you I hate sin, I hate darkness. I want the light. The cry of my heart is for the light. Let me read this for you. A dear brother shared this on Sunday. It was so powerful. Psalm 97. Let me read for you beginning with verse 10. Let those who love the Lord, hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. but those who love the Lord hate evil. The Lord first spoke these words into my heart on July 15, 2002. It was my birthday, and I was struggling. I was somehow unable to get a hold of the idea that I could truly be righteous. I was taught that I could never leave my sin. I was taught that I was always going to be walking in sin and degradation and repenting every day and that it would just be by grace that God would finally save me because he had me covered. Well, that wasn't true. It wasn't true at all. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for He guards the lives of his faithful ones. Other translations that He will guard the lives of the children. But my job is to hate evil. And then if I hate evil, he'll guard the lives of his children. And he'll deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So I'm wondering today, do you hate evil? Do you utterly hate evil? One young woman said to me, You know, Pastor, there are some things that I really love to do, but I don't do them because I know they're sin, and I know that if I do them, I can't go to heaven, and so I've just decided I'm going to push them away, and I'm not going to do them anymore. I said to her, that's a very dangerous position to take, because it assumes that you have the ability to reject sin and to walk righteous while not hating evil. I said, no, we in our human power can do certain things. We can refrain from doing certain things. When President Eisenhower was getting a health exam one year in his presidency, the Surgeon General told him, Sir, you need to stop smoking or you're going to die. He said, well, I guess I better start now. And he threw his cigarettes away and he never had another cigarette. Just iron willpower. I'm not talking about that. This young woman believed that she could hold in reserve those things that she liked so much, loved. But right now, she wouldn't do them because she wants to go to heaven. Well, the position we need to take is, Lord Jesus, make me hate this sin. Cause me to totally (laughs) revolt. Let it make me sick, Jesus that I will never go there and I will never touch that wickedness again. I'm done. It's finished. It's over. I don't want it anymore. And then Jesus removes our love for that thing. Let's go back today in the story of Moses. I want to talk about the beginning of this whole story. Moses was born into a Levite family in a very painful and difficult time. He was born into the family, but there was a decree of the Pharaoh that every boy had to be cast into the Nile river at birth. And of course the crocodiles would eat them. The Hebrew midwives Refused to do that. They said no. And when they were questioned by Pharaoh, he said to them, why are you not obeying my command? And he said, well, the the Israelite women are not like the Egyptian women. By the time we get there, they've already delivered their child. They were the first pro-life representatives identified in as such in scripture. well, Moses lived, he was not thrown into the crocodiles, and they kept him hidden for three months. Imagine, if the boys discovered, probably the parents and other children will die also. But they keep this baby very quiet, but finally, comes the time when his voice is loud enough, they can't hide the fact that they have a baby boy. And so at three months of age, they make a, a little basket, and they cover it with pitch. And Moses' mother takes him down and launches him out into the reeds in the Nile. She could not bear to watch what happened to her son, so she left But Miriam, the older sister, stayed and watched. And she saw when Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river and under that lid on the basket, they could hear a baby crying. So they went out and got it and brought it in on the shore, opened it up and this baby was crying and it just won this daughter of Pharaoh's heart. They said, this must be one of the, Israelite babies. Well, Miriam was right there, and she said, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes. And so Mama was called. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So this mother had a few years with her son to teach him the very elementary things about the Lord God of heaven. Now, I suspect that as he grew up in Pharaoh's court, he was trained with the other royal family members. He was trained in warfare. He was trained in all of the wisdom of Egypt And finally, one day when he was an adult, a young adult, a ferocious soldier, he went down to see the Hebrews, his people. And there he saw a man beating an Israelite to the ground. He saw him whipping him. And it so enraged him that he looked every direction, saw no one, and So he killed this Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, immediately what you recognize is that Moses is now beginning an insurrection, not a very well thought out one, but he is now posing as the savior of his people. He has the name, he has the prestige, he has the power. He acts on that without thought. I'm sure in his heart, he thought he did a good thing. He protected God's people. But then he goes again. And this time he sees an Israelite man beating another Israelite man. And so he he stops him. And of course, the question asked is, who made you ruler and judge over us? Well, I think Moses probably figured out because he was the son or he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter that he had authority. He was of the royal family. But this Jewish man did not recognize him as having any authority and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then suddenly Moses is overcome with fear because he knows now the gossip is out and he knows soon Pharaoh will hear. And Pharaoh did hear and he tried to kill Moses. And Moses had to flee. He went to a priest of Midian. Now it so happened that that priest had seven pretty daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flocks. But some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue, and and he watered their flock. And then the girls returned to rule their father, and he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew the water for us, and he watered the flocks. Well, where is he? He said to the daughters. Why didn't, you, why didn't you invite him to come and eat with us? So they went in and invited Moses, and he came. And this man invited Moses to live with them and to take his daughter, Zipporah, in marriage. And Moses agreed. He has two sons. And then Moses takes care of the sheep. He doesn't own the sheep. Rule does. He doesn't own the sheep. His father-in-law owns them. And he spends his time wandering with a flock of sheep, taking them to pasture, arranging water, I wouldn't want to do that job. Sheep stink. And a shepherd will never get the stink of sheep out of his clothing. You have to take care of the sheep very carefully or you'll lose them. Wild animals will ravage them. They'll get fleas and flies and insects, larvae in their noses and they have to be cleaned out. You have to put oil on their heads to prevent the flies from laying eggs. A sheep is afraid of running water. And for a very good reason, because if they're knocked off their feet and that wool gets wet, they'll never be able to stand up on their own. Instead, they're going to lay on their back until they die. Moses is taking care of the sheep. And it's frankly here that Moses learns how to be a pastor. Taking care of dumb sheep. It's here he learns the lessons that will hold him in good stead through 40 years of desert travel. Now Moses, one day, there was... Nothing special about this day. It was a day like every other's. Moses is tending the flock, keeping the flies away, making camp, cooking food. He's by himself. And he's had to go way over to the far side of the desert because he couldn't find grass close by. And then he looks up and he sees the most amazing thing. He sees a bush in the desert on fire and it doesn't burn up. I'm sure when he first saw it, he panicked because the fire could spread and kill his sheep and take his own life. But he watches a moment and strangely, the, f- the fire does not consume the tree. Now, this is Exodus, the third chapter. Moses is tending the flock of of Jethro, his father-in-law, or rule. He's a priest of Midian. In other words, he's a pagan. He's not a follower of the God of heaven. Moses has now been 40 years taking care of sheep. He's been by himself so much that he feels like he can't even talk anymore. Now, please, please, please understand what I'm going to try to say to you now. God wants to use you in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said to a young man today, because of your love of sin, other young people are dying. Because you are not sharing with them, you are not loving them, you are not living a holy life before them, that they can look at you and say, look how he walks with Jesus. God has a plan for your life. And he doesn't want you to throw your life away on the wickedness and the foolishness of this day. He doesn't want you to be involved in all of the video games. They are simply distractions and training in evil. Training in violence. Training in wickedness. He doesn't want that for you. He wants your mind to be alive and fresh. He wants your mind to be given over to holiness, to righteousness. He doesn't want anything standing between your heart and his heart. He wants you. He has a work of salvation for you to accomplish in the lives of other people. And you need to be going to a church that calls you to that mission and to a church that trains you in that mission, not in some artificial soul-winning deal not in the four spiritual laws. He needs to be training you in the school of the desert. He needs to be causing you to walk through the disciplined suffering necessary to be done with sin. He needs you to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that when you speak your words, cut to the very heart of the person who listens he needs you to get out of yourself look what happened his moses curiosity is is pricked and he decides to go over and see what this strange sight is so He walks toward the bush. He knows this is something totally out of the ordinary. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years and he's never seen a bush burning that didn't burn up. When he draws close to that bush to look at it, he can feel the heat of the fire, he can see the brilliance of the flames. Exodus 3, verse 4, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses answered, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing Is holy ground. This is what I was saying to you. When you begin to come close to God, it is holy ground. And the first thing He's going to ask you to do is to take off your sandals. He's going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone. He's going to ask you to give up your own life. Oh yes, he'll he'll still send you to that place of employment. He'll still send you to buy groceries will still call you to do many different things, but it's stepping out of your life in a spiritual sense. It's stepping out of your life and making certain that there is not anything that you have any confidence in except Jesus Christ. It is giving up all confidence in your own ability. It is giving up all confidence in your own mind and your own thoughts. This morning in my prayer closet, as I arose early in the morning to pray, to gather my manna, I began to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't build the National Prayer Chapel. I can't build the radio audience and And I can't make it go to the FM side of the dial where there are many more people listening. Jesus, I can't do that. I can't even raise the money to pay for this month's radio broadcast. Jesus, I'm just totally in your hands. If you don't step in, it won't be. Jesus has to draw the hearts of men and women to create the family of God. Jesus has to step in and convict your heart as you listen to this that you would turn to him with all of your heart and all of your mind that you wouldn't play church anymore. That you'd say, no matter what the price is, I have to have Jesus. I don't want religion. I want Jesus. And I want to make that journey successfully from this wicked place of destruction, to the celestial city. I am on my way. Nothing is going to stop me. I want the light and glory of God to shine upon me and in me, and every place of darkness has to be illuminated that it could be removed from my heart. I spoke with a dear friend last night. I asked what they were doing. And the answer was so heartwarming. I'm making a list. Mm -hmm. I'm making a list of all of the things that I need to surrender to Jesus. So here's this person waiting before God and writing down a list of all of the things that they want to give to Jesus and surrender to him. My heart left with joy. To imagine that here is someone who cares so much about Jesus, that they will take the time out of an evening to just sit before the Lord, and ask the Lord, what do I need to surrender? And then write it down, and then begin the process of confessing that thing to Jesus and quickly asking him, would you cause me to hate that thing? Will you will You take it over? I can't do it. One of the things that I've put on my list that I've now fully surrendered to Jesus is this radio broadcast. I have also fully given over the National Prayer Chapel. I've given over my family. I've surrendered my future to Jesus. I've surrendered my control over daily activities to Jesus. I'm here. He's called me to come and preach, and so I'm I've come to preach his word, but I don't have the ability to preach it. I need the Holy Spirit to come and move in me and give me the words to speak that they would have life in them and not be just dead words of religion. I need life to flow from the words to quicken your hearts and cause you to say, yes, pastor, I want Jesus that way too. Are the words doing their work in your heart? Our phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. That's 877-534-0780. I'd like to know today how it is between you and Jesus. How long are you going to have those issues before you finally say, Okay, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to surrender them to you now. I'm going to step out of my own life. I'm not going to wear my sandals, the symbol of of prosperity in this culture, the symbol of not being a servant, but being a part of the family, a, a symbol of, of comfort. Are you willing to step out of your sandals? Onto that hot burning sand. And are you willing to let Jesus. Take you and do with you as he wills. Will you get your hands. Off your future. And trust it to Jesus Christ. Will you get your hands. Off of all relationships. And give them to Jesus. Are you willing to take your hands off your money and recognize that it's not your money? It belongs to Jesus. Are you willing to be a humble servant of the Most High God and walk in righteousness, hating evil, loving the light, are there dark places in your life today that the light and glory of Jesus has been blocked out of? You have kept the door closed and locked. You think nobody even remembers this. It's, it's, it's done. It's finished. I don't need to ever look at it again. But you remember, and God remembers. Maybe you stole something and never made restitution. You never gave it back. I don't know what it is you've done, but Jesus does. One man confessed to me that he had violated the trust of his beloved. That he had many times committed fornication. And now he thought he could simply go on down the road and everything would be okay. Are you kidding me? Jesus knows. Those women know. Jesus wants a clean church. He wants a pure church. He wants an honest church. Are you clean with Jesus today? I opened the phone lines because I'm just very aware in the spirit that there are some of you listening today who are not clean before God. I'm giving you a chance to call and to talk about maybe not the particulars, but where you're at in the process and to give you an opportunity to be prayed for, to be encouraged. Our number is 877-534-0780. Are you clean today in Jesus? Now, some of you, when I ask that question, immediately answer the question by saying, oh, yes, I'm clean because Jesus' blood covers me. Well, does the sin yet remain in your life, in your heart? then the blood of Jesus doesn't cover you because it's still there. The blood of Jesus was never meant to cover anything. It was meant to cleanse everything. It's by the blood that we're washed and cleansed and made free. It's by the blood that we are restored to the likeness of Jesus. Has that happened in your life? Are you a religionist? (laughs) It's not going to work you're going to have to turn to Jesus. So you're welcome to call if you would like. Moses standing in this burning desert, probably hopping from one foot to the other, looking for a mite of shade somewhere where he could stand. Do not come any closer. I hear some people say, "Oh, I just want Jesus to be my best friend." Please hear what he says to you, "Don't come too close to me. I'm holy, and you're still clutching on to your sin. Don't come near to Jesus when you are covered with your sin and rebellion." No, he said to Moses, "Don't don't come any closer." When Remember, the children of Israel were going up to Mount Sinai. We'll talk about this sometime soon. He said, put a fence around it. Don't let any of the people come close. That's just the opposite of everything we've heard growing up. We've always heard, come close to Jesus. Well, (laughs) yes, we're to come close to Jesus, but not in rebellion, not in wickedness. Don't come to Jesus and be an Ananias and Sapphira. They came close by the Spirit, and they lied to the Spirit. They didn't keep the pledge they made, and they died because they were too close to Jesus. Others were lying and cheating and stealing in Jerusalem. Why didn't they die? Because they were a long ways away from Jesus. How do you get away with sexual sin? You're a long way from Jesus. I want to come close to Jesus. But I know to come close to Jesus, I have to be washed by his blood. I have to be clean. I have to have the power of sin broken in my heart. I have to be totally dependent upon Him. Jesus says, Eat my body. It's real food. Drink my blood. It's real drink. That's being intimate with God. Are you intimate with God? Are you intimate with God? Have you left your sin? Have you given up being a victim? Have you given up making excuses? Have you finally said, I will follow Jesus? You know, you either will or you won't. Come on. Be real with me. You'll either follow Jesus or you won't follow Jesus. Don't pretend. Either do it or don't do it. Either set your sight on heaven and pay the price or have your heaven now and die in hell. That's about as blunt as I can put it, but that's real. That's the reality of the situation we face. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. What made it holy? The presence of God is what made it holy. You want the presence of God in your life? Then you must be holy. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was a wise man. He better be afraid to look at God. And then the Lord begins to speak with him about what's on his heart. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'll tell you the truth. Nothing was given freely in Egypt. Egypt was a place of bitter slavery. You paid a dear price for everything you gained there. But here God is saying to Moses, I'm going to take you to a place where the people don't have to pay for this with slave labor. Instead, it'll be given to them. He said, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, who are you, Moses? You are trained in all of the military skills of Egypt. You've been trained in the finest universities of Egypt. You're a strong man. But that wasn't enough. Moses fled from Egypt with all of that. And he spent the last 40 years herding sheep, not even his own sheep. Who am I that I should go? And then God said. What made all the difference? I will be with you. I will be with you. Moses on his own could do nothing. Moses on his own would simply be killed by Pharaoh. Moses on his own was a washed up sheep herder. His life was basically over. He had no future. He had no financial future. He was not a Midianite. He was not going to be a Midianite priest. He was a servant of the Most High God. He was washed up. Some of you listening to this broadcast today are out of hope you think your life's over it's it's finished it's wrapped up i can't do anything i'm done i don't have the money i don't have the health if i had i could but i don't have so i can't you only need one thing you need god to go with you but for god to go with you you're going to have to step out of your sandals You're going to have to step out of your life. He is going to take you to nothing. He is going to walk you through things that you never dreamed you would have to face. He's going to train you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to disciple you. If you're willing to come close to him. Now, Moses is kept at a distance, but as we know, the story of Moses tells us that God and Moses came very close, probably closer than any other man in history. God talked with Moses face to face, they were friends. But God was still God. And Moses was still just a man. I have said many times, Lord, the scriptures tell us that the glory of the New Testament is much greater than the glory of the Old. I have not seen the fullness of that glory of the New Covenant. I want to. I want to see the fullness of the glory of God expressed in Jesus Christ on that cross. He is everything. There's nothing without him. <laughs> I trust him. I've put my life in his hands. I've put the National Prayer Chapel in his hands. I've put, I've put this broadcast in his i put you in his hands. And I say, Jesus, rule over us. And do whatever's necessary to bring us into your heart, to bring us close to you. So Moses says, who am I? You got it right, Moses. You're nobody. But when you're with God, you're everybody. You are something. You are powerful because you are walking in the presence and power of the almighty God of the universe. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, thank you very much. Moses doesn't want that kind of a sign. He wants a different kind of sign, something that's a little flashier, a little more power. He has no clue the power god is going to demonstrate before him to bring him to that mountain with that crowd so moses says to god okay suppose just just suppose that i go and i go to the israelites and i say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name What shall I tell them? God, I don't even know your name. What? I, I can say the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but who are you, God? Listen to this answer. It is the most astonishing answer we could have had. God said to Moses... I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Or I will be what I will be. It is the verb to be. He is saying, I am the all-sufficient, the almighty. I am the only one who is forever present. I am the Almighty. Tell them I am has sent you. I am the past. I am the present. I am the future. I am God. Now God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Will you step out of your life and allow God to take charge of every aspect of your being, of your future, of your present, of your past? Will you give all into the hand of Jesus Christ? Will you leave your sin behind? Will you step out of your life and trust Jesus to accomplish in you what he desires to accomplish? He he desires desperately that you should be an instrument of salvation for the lost and dying. Will you step out of your life? We're out of time. Just very quickly, let me give you some information. We're coming Close to the end of the month, we're a long way from being able to pay the radio bill. And so I'm calling again today for an offering like we do at church. I'm not going to do selling of tapes and books and all of that. I'm, I believe the work of God should be supported wholeheartedly by God's people who are ministered to by that work. So if you'd like to send tithe or offering, I invite you to do that. And thank you to the many who have already been sending that. We're about halfway there. Let me give you the address. It's the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That mailing address again, the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy. With great joy. Now unto him who is able from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy.